All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. We have a very special guest out of California today, future Governor Wildstar, Nicholas Wildstar. Nick, do you want to give us an introduction? Hello, fellas, and thank you again for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to be heard by your audience. Um, that's very rare of a person that's a liberty advocate and, you know, uh, a liberty a libertarian candidate. So I appreciate the chance. Um, but yeah, I am, I am a uh, activist. I have been involved in political activism for over a decade now. So I've been involved in tons of marches and protests for different causes, whether it's um, abuses of authority by police officers, mainstream media censorship, women's rights, uh, climate change, et cetera, the list goes on. So um, my roots in activism stems from the Occupy movement. That's kind of what got me up off the couch as an American to want to get involved in our, you know, political issues here in this country. And um, that was fueled after the, uh, the uh, 20, no, 2008. Yeah, 2008 election of Barack Obama. So like most black people <laughs> straight out of high school, I was promoted to vote for Democrats. Democrats, good guy, Republicans, bad guy, you know? So I fell into that pattern of supporting Democrats, just towing the line as far as party loyalism. And um, it wasn't until Barack Obama came along where I abandoned ship, uh, mainly because he had campaigned on the promise of getting, you know, Wall Street out of politics and, Immediately, a month into his his um, his presidency, he took half a million dollars from Goldman Sachs. You know, bailed out the banks, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, etc. So uh, he proved to me that he was basically the same type of sellout politician that we're used to. So I started looking for different options and ended up stumbling up upon Ron Paul, who I didn't know about that ran against Barack Obama. So once I heard about his policies of, you know, minimizing government and ending occupational wars and shit, the Federal Reserve, which I knew nothing, nothing about. Uh, he just educated me on all of these things and opened my eyes to libertarianism in general. So I started to become a supporter of his and um, ended up um, working on his campaign, his 2012 campaign for president. And um, pretty much that was the first time that I've ever had to uh, ever voted Republican <laughs> uh, because he was running on a Republican ticket. And here in California, in order for you to vote for a presidential candidate, you must be, or in the primary, you must be registered for that party. So I registered as a Republican, voted Ron Paul, and um, ever since that election had been a, uh, an advocate of libertarianism. So um, he got me involved in the liberty movement, I would say, as well as, uh, again, my grounds in the Occupy movement. And um, hearing him speak in his many speeches, he had mentioned about if you really want to change the landscape of our politics, get involved, you know, on the local level or on the state level or whatever, just run for office. And, you know, some of these seats that these politicians end up holding, uh, they go unopposed. So 
if more people knew about them and actually gave them a run for their money, then maybe we could see something different. Pardon me, I got my son here. <laughs> He's now, trying to mention if anybody hears it. We've actually got another future Governor Wildstar. <laughs> my, my son, his name is Chancellor. So, <laughs> little Chancellor Wildstar here. But, um, two governors on one podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's got comments on this also, I guess. But uh, so, um, yeah, uh, hearing him speak and say, get involved. Uh, that promoted me to want to run for office and I chose governor because when it boils down to all of our issues in state, the one person whose shoulders it falls on as far as responsibility is the governor of the state. Uh, and I had um, noticed the failures of Governor Jerry Brown then during that time um, and wanted to of course compete against him and give him a run for his money. So. I ran as uh, an independent candidate my first time in t 2014, and then I ran again in 2018 as a libertarian candidate and was able to get about um, 12,000 votes nearly. I was the endorsed candidate for the Libertarian Party, and that helped, of course, help me gain more name recognition. But as I said at the beginning of this, you know, being a third party candidate you get shut out by the mainstream media, especially when you're anti-establishment and are speaking again, uh, you know, on issues and actually providing solutions. They really don't like that. You know, they yeah. want to validate their, their uh, uh, unnecessary uh, actions and behaviors. So um, now I'm gearing up for another run for governor um, only I'll be running as a Republican, a Libertarian Republican, since I'll be promoting the Libertarian platform and, you know, limited government and maximum, uh, you know, individual rights. Uh, but I'll be running as a registered Libertarian so I can hopefully gain more attention from the larger audience. I did come to find that, you know, um, running as a third party candidate, people are stuck in the mindset that I must vote for a Republican or Democrat or else my, my vote is wasted. So um, if you wanna change that somehow, we're gonna to have to show how libertarian solutions actually are beneficial when it comes to policy changes. And I feel like I'll be able to do that and if I'm elected as a Republican. That's definitely something we definitely wanna talk about. Let's dig deep into uh, the history because I think this is fascinating because um, if I heard you right, so essentially you, I don't know, did you grow up Democrat or just become Democrat with the Yeah, I grew up in a Democratic supportive household, I guess. Um, oh, the parents had voted for Bill Clinton and <laughs> uh, <laughs> other Democratic <laughs> candidates before I've had a, had a, got a voting age. And my first election was the um, election Al Gore was running as a Democratic candidate. So I was voting Al Gore to hopefully get him elected and um, uh, felt robbed by the two party system, like most people did during that election, as, as most presidential elections, including this one, most recent one, where people, of course, feel like the system is rigged, you know? Uh, so just being disenfranchised by the uh, 
the election process all together uh, didn't motivate me to want to get as involved until, like I said, Ron Paul pretty much yeah. kind of put that fire under me to want to do more. The interesting thing about your story is most of the people um, that we've had on the show either are kind of in the Ron Paul camp or the Gary Johnson camp as far as who brought them to the party. <laughs> and um, and I might be talking out of turn here, Kevin, but I think the trend is if you came from the right side of the aisle, Ron Paul brought you in. <laughs> and if you yeah. came from the left side of the aisle, Gary Johnson brought you in. No, uh -huh. I the left side of the aisle <laughs> so that was something that i was going to comment on i think he's the only i think you're the only democrat that we've ever had on that got turned by ron paul yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I just that's think good that's to so know <laughs> it <laughs> happens <laughs> uh, because because clearly what that shows me and so when i was a hardcore republican i can guarantee you the one thing i never ever ever did um was listen to the democrats <laughs> and so <laughs> what it sounds like what you were doing is actually listening to both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and found somebody you liked on the other side. And I think that's something to be respected uh, because I don't think anybody in our uh, in our you know political system does that anymore, listens to the other side with an actual open mind and willingness. Exactly. Um, so I mean, that's fantastic. And I, and I just think that's so cool. And that nice thing, I think the one the one study there is you were kind of in the anti-establishment to begin with when you were a Democrat and then you went over an anti-establishment in the Republican. Remind me the Occupy movement, um, and obviously I was a Republican. Um, the Occupy movement was more of a left-wing movement as well. Is that right? Supposedly, yeah, it was anti-establishment, wanting to get Wall Street out of politics, uh, just seeing the devastation that they've caused on yeah. our economy, you know, and uh, what they've done to our educational system by inflating tuition costs. And that's really, I believe, where kind of um, uh, started to take off was on college campuses across yeah. the country. And then when it finally ga gained more traction, uh, they started to occupy parks and cities and federal buildings all across the country. Started in New York, um, with what it was a Occupy Wall Street yeah. and then just yeah. stemmed across the country. You know, we had to Occupy LA, Occupy San Diego, Occupy Sacramento, it's just all over. And I may be talking out of turn, so, so you two former lefties can correct me, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but was that, or was that not the beginning of, or beginnings of Antifa? <laughs> Uh, supposedly, I would say, yeah. because, you know, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say supposedly, but I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like saying like the, that the Tea Party was the beginning of Trumpism. Right. Like, yeah. And, uh, okay. and that's, that's why I wanted to ask that question specifically, because I think there's a number of people like myself, who back then were hardcore Republicans who are like, holy crap, Occupy. You know, I'm talking to two Antifa boys here, and, and that's not what it is. <laughs> that's why I wanted to let you clarify. So I do remember, you know, people smashing Starbucks and things like that, kind of the signatures of what we see today. Um, but it was different because there was an actual. Uh, well, I'm going to correct that because uh, I would say there were agent provocateurs on the left as well as on the right. You know, and they've been around forever trying to derail. Uh, these revolutions by 
the, the people, you know, and uh, that's kind of what happened during the Occupy movement was you started to see people infiltrating the, um, the protests and kind of creating their own messaging other than what uh, collectively the group was expressing was, was hey, we want to not have government, you know, uh, prodding over our day-to-day -day lives. And um, of course, release the control of corporatism because that's really what's crippling our economy, not capitalism, corporatism. And um, there were a lot of people that understood that. You had it divide into those Bernocrats, you know, a large group of the people that support Bernie Sanders are from the Occupy movement, but um, as well as Antifa, the anti-fascist movement, they were against Barack Obama during that time. And what the uh, Obama administration was doing. So it's not to say that these groups or organizations were just against uh, a particular political party or leaned right or leaned left or whatever the case may be. It really was a collective type of response against authoritarianism. Yeah. And I think if, if we started to look at these uprisings by our, by you know our countrymen, then we would find some unity in, in wanting to bring these um, these revolutions to fruition because we can all benefit from it. That's for sure. I think that's a great point. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. You know, people tend to want to box certain things into labels, and I just did it right. So I is this, and Tea Party is that, and MAGA is this, and we like to box everybody together. We know that all three of those movements, you know, had folks come in and filtrate essentially, try and derail the message or capitalize on the message that was out there. Um, same thing as the BLM protests and all that stuff. It, it happens every time, um, right. you know, we have these large, these large movements put together that um, not always your message that's getting out there. So right. I agree. Um, so Talk to us a little bit. So you get you get behind Ron Paul, you get into libertarianism. Your first run for governor came after that, but it was independent. What was your thought process there? Well, the reason why I didn't jump on the Libertarian Party bandwagon, there's to me there's a difference. You know, yeah. there's a I can be as supportive of libertarianism as an idea. Um, but as far as political party involvement, the Libertarian Party itself here in California, I disagreed with some of their policy proposals, and that's why I didn't, you know, jump on the bandwagon then as far as becoming a party member. Um, but I saw the uh, presidential campaign of John McAfee. And I was supportive of McAfee in 2016. And um, I heard him, because when he first started running, he was running on his own political party platform. And then he shifted to the Libertarian Party and people asked him why. And he said, you know, I just saw that as being a party that was more fitting for my ideas and desires of government, you know, and what I stood for as far as principles. So instead of going through the long haul of trying to create my own political party and, you know, be a trailblazer as an independent, why not jump on the bandwagon of the third largest political party in the country 
you know, and give them some some talent that they can work with as far as representation. So uh, that's what I offer to the uh, to the Libertarian Party as a candidate, you know, with me having a reputation of a, a longstanding activism. Uh, there were people that appreciated that within the party, and that's why I was able to gain their endorsement. That's awesome. <clears throat> and so that was the 2018 run. And then, is that right? That's the 2018 mm -hmm. run that you went uh, as a Libertarian. So now talk about the 2022 run, because I think this is the first I heard of the way you're doing it, which is interesting. So yes, indeed. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure, thanks to the pandemic and <laughs> what the liberal main, uh, media machine has done to promote Gavin Newsom, uh, that he's well known, um, the governor of California, and, but what he ha has done to the state isn't widely talked about. We have uh, a growing a number of homeless people that it's thousands, tens of thousands even, at this point, nothing has been done to address the issue. Of course, with unemployment, that has uh, taken an effect, a harmful impact on the state. Um, but it was mainly due to policies that he actually put into law before the pandemic, like AB5, which prevents people from working as an independent contractor in the state. So uh, that's why in the past election, you had Uber and Lyft pretty much lobbying California to have a uh, proposition passed that would allow their rideshare drivers to continue to work as independent contractors, which passed. The people of California supported it. Uh, but now they're being sued by drivers uh, to overturn that proposition. So it's just sad because that added to the loss of jobs, like I said, of millions of people who were working as independent contractors, where there is truck drivers, electricians, painters, landscapers, um, hairdressers, whatever the case may be. Uh, can't work for yourself in the state of California unless, of course, you start your own business, which costs thousands of dollars to get up and running, you know? And why should you have to ask permission from the government to work for yourself? It's just ridiculous. So. These policy changes that he's put into play um, have uh, harmed the people of California. And then if, with the pandemic itself, you know, um, we're one of the first states to have imposed lockdown precautions because we didn't know what was going to happen, you know, what, what the virus could actually do. And here we are still one of the last standing states that have that are still under lockdown, you know? Um, and he's out there having dinner at restaurants, fancy restaurants, five-star restaurants that, you know, the working class people that he supposedly represents can't even afford. So if he's breaking the, the, the same rules that he's imposing on the people of the state, he definitely is unfit to lead and um, should not be... Uh, representing the people of California. So there's been a petition circulating to have him recalled and it's gathered over a million signatures so far, uh, a million point two to be exact, and we need 1.5 before March 17th. So it, it looks as if it's on the path to being successful, in which case we'll be having a special election here sometime in the late summer. If not, the 
gubernatorial election is scheduled for June 2022. So my campaign got to start now since I'm still looking to gain that name recognition to compete against him. And, you know, the corporate lobbyists and the big money backers uh, that are going to be jumping behind these campaigns. So um, I've been hitting the ground running with my campaign, uh, getting out there and the recall protests and reopen protests, um, BLM protests, as many different community uh, events as possible. And it's been difficult, of course, with this lockdown because not too many people are willing to get together in person anymore. But I'm still keeping my hopes up as far as outreach and I'm doing the best that I can through social media to kind of get the word out there. That's awesome. Now, real quick on process, uh, if you know this. So if he if you get the 1.5 million, um, mm -hmm. does he have to go through a recall vote and then the special election or does it just go right to a special election? How's that happen? Well, no, actually, if we get all of the signatures that we need to have a recall election, the people of California will get to vote to recall him and at the same time, uh, choose a new governor. So oh, really? for instance, the ballot will say, would you like to recall Gavin Newsom? People check yes. Okay, who would you like to replace him? Then you have the list of candidates, check Nicholas Wildstar, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's- okay, no. It's, if you say, no, I don't want to recall him, is that an automatic vote for Gavin in the recall election or do you still pick somebody below? Exactly, that's how it works. A, a no vote is a vote for Gavin Newsom and to allow him to fulfill the rest of his term, which if, if he does have the opportunity to, he'll be in his seat until January, 2023. And I don't think the people of California could afford to let him stick around that long. Well, I mean, the really cool part about that whole thing is you're going to hit the 1.5, so you're going to have the chance. So even if Gavin survives the recall effort, you're basically going to get to run for governor twice here in the next mm -hmm. one and a half years, basically. Um, so that's nice uh, for you and for the uh, to have that kind of exposure. Talk a little bit about your decision to run as a Republican how that's playing in your libertarian circles uh, and how you think that's going to play out in this election versus the last election? Absolutely. Well, um, as far as the Libertarian Party is concerned, they um, haven't been well receiving <laughs> of the news, of course, uh, but I'm not looked at as being a traitor because I'm still promoting the same policy proposals as I did when I was a Libertarian. And since I am still promoting of the Libertarian Party um, and am supporting Libertarian ideas, uh, I still think that gives me leverage over Libertarian Party members, which I mainly care about. You know, they're the, they're the engine that drives the machine. So um, I have a lot of Libertarian Party members, a lot of registered Libertarian Party voters that voted for me in the last election and plan on doing the same thing when, um, when this next election comes around, whether it's me running or you know, being on the ballot as a Republican or whatever the case may be. But that choice came out of me again, just looking at the scene and uh, people's per reception of third party candidates in general 
and them still not being ready. I mean, as broken as the Republican Party is, you still have people that are stuck on saying, I'll vote for a Republican before I vote for a Libertarian, you know, or I'll, um, or a Green Party candidate or whatever the case may be. So they're stuck in this two-party uh, dualistic mindset where I must vote red to defeat blue, I must vote vote blue to defeat red, et cetera. And in the state of California, uh, Republican voters are a number two to one, three to one if you throw in no party preference voters, independents, et cetera. So they have their work cut out for them. If they're smart, they'll jump behind me and what I have to offer. Uh, I mean, because with them in need of rebranding <laughs> uh, and their um, party, in need of some, uh, I, I guess, um, repackaging of their of their uh, ideas. You know, you have to you have to promote yourself to a larger audience, and the Republicans can uh, Republican voters in the state of California can make that shift, but it's only going to happen with the right candidate because you're going to need those dem uh, Democrats and left-leaning, whatever case may be, uh, voters to vote for your candidate in order to defeat da Gavin Newsom in the Democratic Party. Um, so um, my choice to run for as a Republican instead of a Democrat is simply because I support more freedom. The Democratic Party has proven through their leadership here in the state that they want to restrict our freedoms. I mean, um, gun rights, they push gun control. I mean, California was a open carry state until um, until the Black Panthers came along and did their uh, display on the march on the Capitol. And the, the legislators during that time that actually restricted gun rights were Republican, including Republican governor, uh, Ronald Reagan, who signed that Mulford Act into law. So I, as governor, would nullify that law and would like to put California on the, pay, uh, on the path to having constitutional carry and um, you know, nullifying all of these unconstitutional gun laws. And I also feel like changing the gun culture in the state would also um, change the response by law enforcement for people. Uh, that are in possession of a weapon, especially black people that usually end up getting shot and killed or arrested because they are in possession of a weapon um, and looked at as a threat because they do so. Uh, there was a killing here in 2018 of a black male by the name of Stefan Clark who was shot and killed in his grandparents' backyard because the cops thought he had a gun, but he really had a cell phone, wasn't armed at all. And um, of course they opened up nearly a dozen shots that killed this kid. And <clears throat> it's just unnecessary because if law enforcement had of respected their natural right uh, to protect themselves and be in possession of a, of a weapon, then they probably would have responded differently. And I'm a father, you know, a new father, I'm a husband and I wanna be able to protect my family. I don't feel like I should have to receive permission from the government to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, am going to take a moment to talk about 
the platform that you and I discussed briefly uh, that you're considering uh, backing, which is uh, something that Kevin and I have been working on, uh, backed by our overtaxationandstuff.com website that has basically three planks, one of which is gun control. Um, and that plank reads uh, to a, um, Kevin, what do we call it? It's a- um, To a sanctuary. Yeah, sorry, to a sanctuary state. Um, so not at the local level, but actually make California to a sanctuary state, uh, which would allow them to essentially um, not spend any time, money or effort um, helping the federal government enforce federal gun laws. The other one is to attempt to eliminate the state tax, which is absolutely significant in California, uh, way oh, over yeah. 10%, if I understand. Uh, and then uh, the third one was to legalize cannabis or legalize, uh, decriminalize marijuana. And I'm not sure where California is on that. Where is Where are they right now? It has been uh, legalized. So due to Prop 64, it's now, uh, usable for recreational use, but would be the new one. So talk a little bit about how you feel about those, uh, what your thoughts are about those and what other platforms you're going to be running on. Well, yes, I absolutely pledge to do all three. I mean, my current platform on my website, wildstar2022.com actually touches on each and every one of those. Uh, decriminalization, I feel like California could definitely benefit from. We were one of the first states to actually pass laws to have medicinal marijuana available and create marijuana dispensaries. But yet, you know, here we are again being sluggish on uh, decriminalizing and getting government and in, in, out of uh, the industry altogether and to where now, you know, uh, we're able to purchase it recreationally and use recreationally here in the state. So I support decriminalization. I look at countries like Portugal, which serves as an example, you know, for decriminalization. It's been decriminalized of all substances even since about 2001. Hasn't blown up. It hasn't went down in fire. You know, people still live there. It still has a flourishing economy and society. So, you know, everything isn't going to go to hell if that happens. And Oregon is another example as well. Uh, in this past election, they just decriminalized all sub substances, marijuana, um, psilocybin, etc. So I would like for California to follow that same path in decriminalizing all substances and um, give us an opportunity to start, you know, uh, making some money off of that as, as a uh, contributor to our economy here. Um, I also feel like with, again, uh, the gun control laws in the state, they definitely have caused more problems than good. So I would like to create a 2A sanctuary, you know, by, uh, you know, reinstating our constitutional rights to carry in the state, whether it's open carry, uh, you know, concealed carry, whatever the case may be, no carry. I don't even like guns, you know, but I don't think people should be able to have the right, you know, their legal right, their natural right, their inalienable right to protect themselves um, violated in any way, shape or form ever. Um, so we as supporters of that need to make sure that we have 
representatives that are standing by that oath. And um, <clears throat> as far as taxes, I, I hate taxes. Everybody hates taxes, you know? <laughs> uh, I speak with tons of voters, uh, Democrats, leftists, liberals, hate taxes just as much as people on the right and libertarians. So uh, I believe that we could definitely benefit from zero taxes, a zero state income tax, uh, a zero state um, property tax. And uh, I do see the need, I guess, uh, or temporary need for consumptive tax, uh, which I would flatten to maybe 7% across the board for everywhere for a sales tax. But if we can eliminate all of these other taxes and just focus on that one consumptive tax, reduce some of these costs, um, public costs for uh, for the people of California, the average state employee gets a six figure salary plus pension for life. You know, that's unacceptable. So when we talk about debt and uh, being fiscally responsible, that is not conservative for us to be, you know, um, agreeing to such a debt, long time debt is that. So I plan on uh, implementing all of those. As I said, I have um, pretty much touched on each on my website uh, where I talk about more of what I'd like to do for the state. Very cool. Well, this has been awesome, sir. A uh, really good interview, just really uh, good to get to know you. I'm hoping our audience had a had a nice chat with you today. We'll definitely have you back as we get closer to the election. Uh, I'm going to be interested in a couple of things. One, how the whole relationship with you and the party goes. I think that's going to be interesting too. Do they put up another libertarian candidate? You know, those are things that we're going to want to watch and have you back on to talk about as the election gets closer. Uh, but if you want, let's go ahead and plan on bringing you back um, as we get to the 1.5 million signature, because I think that's going to be important to talk about the mechanics of the election and who's starting to announce and things like that and how the whole thing's going to play out. Uh, because I think California elections in general are fascinating and people outside of California don't understand them at all. Um, and I think it'll be, it's, uh, that's one of the most popular questions we get is how does it work in California? Because nobody understands jungle primaries and all this stuff and the other, yeah. you know, the other races and nobody's going to understand this recall election. So it's going to be a good episode when that, when that comes up. So we'll have sure. you back if you're willing, um, tell everybody where they can find you. I'd be honored to come back. Please, in the meantime, visit my website, wildstar2022.com. That's wild like an animal, star like in the sky, 2022.com. Uh, please definitely get involved in my campaign, no matter where you are. You know, I feel like uh, people all over the country need to be invested in what happens here in California, because as the saying goes, uh, so goes California, so goes the rest of the nation. And if we watch the state here on the West go down the drain, you can expect the same thing to happen across the country. So we want to turn the tides here, but it's up to we, the people, to get involved on a grassroots level. I'm a grassroots candidate. I'm not backed by special interest groups or big corporations or any of that stuff. So please contribute whatever you can. Um, every dollar counts. Uh, we got to fight fire with fire here, and they're going to put millions of dollars, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure that the establishment continues to keep control of the state. 
So if we, the people want to be able to take that, those reins of power and put it back into our hands, we definitely, again, got to um, play the game the way that it is. So please visit my website, make a contribution that you can, uh, or if you can, um, and uh, pledge to get involved with the campaign. I'm looking for staffers, you know, it's still again, a, a, a hard race and a lot uh, uphill battle that we have before us. So please definitely reach out and let's bring back Liberty to the state of California. Awesome. Kevin. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love to have you back on. Love, it. Love everything about it. We'll definitely uh, share your stuff out on our social media and try and give you that platform that we've got. Thank have you. you back. Yes, indeed. I appreciate that. Every, every bit helps. <laughs> yeah. My son agrees also, if you can hear a bit of Thank you, future Governor Wilders, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks again for coming. Thanks. A pleasure indeed. God bless you guys. Thank you. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here, too.